Paul Gleason, he's excellent as well. Yeah. And and Christian Bale, you know Christian Bale's in it, don't you? What? I'll put I'll put that in. You know, I haven't fact checked that, but it's it's definitely Christian Bale. Hello and welcome to Exploding Helicopter, the only podcast in the world dedicated to the cinematic art of helicopter explosion. My name is Will and we're back for another show celebrating our favourite movie trope, The Exploding Helicopter. This time we're going to be looking at possibly the greatest action film of all time. It's a movie that spawned countless imitations but none have yet surpassed it. It's the original, it's the best, it's Die Hard. To discuss the film, with me I'd like to introduce a man who negotiates million dollar deals for breakfast... Someone who always watches 60 Minutes. He's my white knight. Welcome to the show, Dara. Yippee-ki-yay, mother... How you doing, Wells? Good to be here. Good to have you back on the show. Good to have you back. So, uh, before we get into into our main discussion on uh, Die Hard, have you seen uh, anything interesting lately? I don't just look at action films. I like to have a, a wide breadth of uh, film knowledge. and uh, So, therefore, I went to see a comedy with Ben Stiller. It's very intellectual. Um, <laughs> while we're young, Ben Stiller, Naomi Watts, actually got pretty good reviews, and I think they're justified, really. It's the directors are Noam Baumbach, I think. Baumbach, that's how you pronounce it. I guess it's... It's a, not a 30-something film, a 40-something film. Ben and Naomi are a couple, childless couple, kind of drifting a bit. They've got good jobs, but they haven't really got any meaning to their life. And they, they befriend in New York a couple of 20, uh, mid-20s couple who are cool, like do cool things, live in like a loft apartment. And Ben Stiller starts, you know, um, wearing silly hats and behaving in a, in a, in a way he shouldn't do for his age. I just found it a very good the script is excellent and acting is, is, um, is very good, even though it's Ben Stiller. He can do these kind of comedy. He does, he does have a, he does have a, a range to him. He's not, you know, he's never going to be Shakespeare, Shakespearean actor, but he's convincing. There's some moments of pathos in there. I, I recommend it. Okay. I'm not, uh, I mean, you sort of alluded to it already. I'm not uh, a particularly big Ben Stiller fan. Admittedly, I've not seen him in a, in a great deal of stuff and that's partly due to the fact that I'm not that keen on him, but. You reckon he's? Uh, you reckon? You reckon he's got a bit of range? Do you? He has a, a slight range. I mean, this is kind of a more of an indie film. He has done a few. I'm just trying to rack my brain to think what other indie ones that he's done. He's done a few where he's not doing the usual night at the museum rubbish, where he's hamming it up for the camera. This is quite good. It's a bit more restrained. I guess you could compare it to when Will Ferrell stopped doing comedies and started doing serious films. People didn't know what to make of it. And he actually showed that he could extend himself a little bit. And Ben Siller can do that. And, and I really did enjoy this film. Okay. All right, Dara. Well, I hope you're ready to take your shoes and socks off and sprint across some broken glass because it's time to talk about Die Hard. Oh, yeah. We thank you one and all and wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. It's Christmas Eve in L.A. But a team of terrorists... Want money? What kind of terrorists are you? Who said we were terrorists? Have their own holiday plans. And I'm telling you, you just gonna have to kill me. Okay. We do it the hard way. But the one thing they didn't plan on was New York cop John McLean. Got invited to the Christmas party by mistake. Who knew? You really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, mother... 
So Die Hard really should need little introduction to any self-respecting uh, film fan. It's widely sort of regarded as a classic, and um, I don't think you're going to hear any dispute about that from either sort of Dar or I. So rather than affect a contrived debate about whether this is a good film or not, we're just going to like dive into talking about some of the things that we think make make this film great, and some of the sort of more sort of random observations we've come to make about this film because it's uh, one that we've both seen a lot of times so Dara I know you think one of the sort of real strengths of this film are the sort of the characters in this and I'd agree with that you know from the main ones to the minor ones this film is chock full of memorable turns what are some of the favorite characters in this film for you Dara? Yeah, I mean, there's quite a long list of actors that have kind of appeared in, in 80s films, and they seem to almost all provide the sort of performance of their careers in this film. You've got Robert Davy, who, um, Davy Davy, I think people may know him as, uh, one of the, one of the Goonies. You might have seen him in that. But he always, he's, he's got, he's a sort of got quite a pockmarked face, and he always plays sort of menacing characters, and he plays the uh, FBI Big Johnson. There's Little Johnson, Big Johnson. And he he's got um, some good some good lines in this. He's quite a, he's quite funny, quite acerbic, uh, and he gives the the classic um, give him helicopters right up the ass. Which here at Exploding Helicopter we we enjoy. That's one of our favourite lines, I think. Yeah, he uh, Robert Robert Davy promises to um, deliver helicopters up the ass, but uh, he sadly fails to deliver on that. I would like to see that, but um... that, would, that would be that would be something. You got Reginald Vell Johnson, who's a uh, an 80s, 80s staple. We don't really see much of him now as Sergeant Powell, uh, who has his, his little bromance with Willis when he's, uh, you know, eating his Twinkies and doing his rounds and turns out that he, you know, he could be a, a dead eye cop in the end. I won't spoil it for the, the one person in the world who hasn't seen the ending. So you think that, you know, Al Powell, he's actually eating those Twinkies because he, he when he's in the shop, he's buying them. He's saying it's for his, uh, you know, it's for his pregnant his wife. His pregnant wife. But you, you think yeah. that's, you think that's baloney. I think that's brilliant. I think the guy behind the counter knows the real deal, and, and that's why he, he scorns. He gives him he gives him uh, what for when uh, when he pretends that they're for his pregnant wife, or when he's, he's stuffing his face. Yeah, here's that sarcastic you know line where he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just sort of dive back to uh, Robert Davy? Mm-hmm. Do you know how he makes uh, a lot of his living these days? Oh God, don't tell me he's something like a carpenter or something. No, 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 no. More more glamorous than that. He. Uh, he does spend a lot of time doing basically kind of like Frank Sinatra impersonations. So he'll kind of, he'll give concerts as, the, you know, singing the Frank Sinatra songbook in like Las Vegas. Really? Yeah. Is he any really. good? Have you heard him? I haven't heard him, but I, you know, from, from the amount of stuff that he does, like apparently singing is his real passion. That's why he, oh. that's why he sort of does it. And, um, oh, I remember in the Goonies does that. A bit of opera, doesn't he? He sings. He, he does, sings some yeah. opera. There you go. We had an early glimpse of his his fledgling career right there. So anyway, yeah, and I've uh, slightly side, I slightly sidetracked you. Uh, side okay, no, that's you interesting. There. I might I might look up one of his uh, one of his albums on on the internet. Uh, yeah. So on top of that, you've got uh, William Atherton as as Thornburg, who we're going to speak about in a bit more detail because you've got a little theory on him, haven't you? Well, I I have, but but why don't we mess about it? Well, why, yeah. why don't we, why don't we, uh, why don't we, why don't, I'm going to air my theory on, uh, Okay, air your theory to the, to on, the nation. On, on see Dick if Thornburg. They so I have a theory that Dick Thornburg is gay. And, look, I'm, I will happily confess that there is very little evidence for it. But I think, you know, the clues are there. And if you're alive to them, you can kind of fit them together. So, you know, I, there's, there's a couple of things that he says in his dialogue where, 
you know, he's talking about when he sort of first hears the the call about the what's going on down at Nakatomi Plaza. Yeah. He's uh he's kind of uh, talking to somebody on the phone and he's uh, about a restaurant booking and he he sort of he says that he's you know, he's basically saying about how good of friends he is with the sort of mate d at this restaurant mm-hmm. he's and he's saying you know wolfgang and i are really good friends it's just something about the way he says it you know there's there's a backstory there there's a little bit extra okay, and, right. and, <laughs> and then late and then later when he's like demanding to um demanding to be allowed to kind of cover this story and he's kind of threatens to sort of blow the 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 news report that's about to go live and you know he He's sort of basically trying to get Harvey, who's one of the kind of like news, uh, the news readers to sort of back him up there. Yeah. And, you know, he sort of says, eat it, Harvey, you know, and, you know, again, that's kind of implying that those two are obviously like, you know, best buds in some way. And you did, know, you, did you feel a sort of sexual frisson between the two of them? Is that what it was? Well, I mean, look at um, look at Harvey. He's got incredibly well coiffured hair. So, you know, I, I, you know, I just think. This is the 80s. A, everything goes in the 80s. It's very possible. Very possible. So, am I, you know, am I persuading you? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you need to go back and, and look at that. Okay, I'll, I'll need to revisit that. I need to revisit that. Well, uh, that, I mean, that's a good theory. And I think one of, we shouldn't, we should not not mention, i.e. we should mention, Paul Gleason as Dwayne T. Robinson. The T, I don't know what that would stand for. Uh, twat, probably. Cause Tosspot. he, Tosspot. Another, another performance of his. I mean, he was in the Breakfast Club as the, he always plays an arsehole, basically. And he, he plays a inept police deputy in this one. And I've, I'm looking online. I, I think a lot of people have, if there's any criticism of Die Hard, there's very few people who could criticize it. It's, it's basically his performance. It was just slightly, it's obviously a comedy performance, but how inept he is and how useless he is in the face of who, international terrorists. <laughs> well, I've listened to John McTernan talk about Die Hard and one of the things that he deliberately inserted into the film when he, after he got the script was he wanted to put in authentic moments of, of comedy because he wanted to, he said, you know, you're not going to be, if the film, if all these terrorists are really sort of serious, serious, like hardcore sort of terrorist dudes and, you know, Bruce Willis, as, as was originally in the script, he's just this, uh, his character is just this kind of like, you know, straight down the line sort of New York cop. There's going to be mm. uh, what he was saying, like, there's going to be, there'll be no joy in the film. So he deliberately sort of inserted, like found places within the film, but not trying to overplay it. But like yeah. add elements of comedy um, into the film. And, you know, there's that scene where the SWAT team are coming up to the doors to kind of try and force an entry into the building. And one of them like scratches his hand like on uh, on the run of the rose bushes. So kind of sort of implying that, you know, that, that you know, these are supposed to be like the sort of L.A.'s toughest, you know, anti-terrorist yeah, team. Yeah. But they, you know, they can't even go through a bed of flowers without sort of hurting themselves. You have to say that Tiernan's got the, he's got the tone exactly right. That's why this film is so good. Cause it, it has got the action. It has got the dialogue. It is hilarious in points. I wanted to sort of talk about Gruber's gang. If mm. we're sort of going to be sort of talking about the sort of characters in here. Cause for me, they just, they're a really sort of odd mix of oh. Euro terrorist and Americans. Euro trash. It just sort of, put a question in my mind about you know, how did this sort of group of people sort of get together because obviously like you know Hans you know was formerly in this 
you know, German terrorist gangs been expelled. So you kind of think, yeah, these are the Germans, at least. These are all guys that, you know, he probably knew from that time. So he's kind of mm-hmm. rounded them up for this job. But then how did he sort of get together with, you know, Theo, Eddie or Uli, you know, who are all sort of Americans? And you sort of, yeah, you sort of wonder how did they hook up? And like, especially somebody like Theo, because... You know, he's got like uh, this real sort of repart has this real repartee with Hans Gruber in the film in a way in which, you know, he's not, they, you know, it's like they've worked together. He's not just some sort of gun for hire. And this is like the first time they've worked together. It could be it could be a prequel in the making how these he's come come together because it is they don't seem like a good like a natural fit. Obviously, you would imagine Gruber has his connections. He's obviously the, the brains of the bunch. So he's put this team together. How he's done it, that is a little bit of a mystery. Maybe there's like a social media app for terrorists, kind of like Tinder. You sort of, you know, flick through, swipe right for, you know, somebody that you uh, think would, <laughs> you'd like to like. I'm sure these, I think this is before Twitter though, yeah. so they've had to send each other um, laborious letters or hadn't used computers with green writing on the screen, because that's what you did back, back in those days. Maybe they just put small ads out, you know. Could they, yeah. Would like to meet extortionist for blackmail and robbery, and maybe more. Must have mullet or ponytail. <laughs> that's key. That, that, that's the, the, in fact the most impressive thing about the gang is their hair is amazing. That's the, that's why I like them so much. You've got ponytails in there. You've got long hair. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember have you heard of Fabio? Yes. The ridiculous model with his big hair. There's one guy who's like a dead ringer for him. Um, yeah, mullet, some bad jumpers in there. There's a, a Christian Bell lookalike with a horrible bad jumper in there that I, I just was impressed that a terrorist would go that he, he could shop that badly. That's one of the most impressive things for me. Well, that made me wonder, like, was there really that much long hair around in the 80s? Cause when I was, I was a kid in the 80s, you know, obviously mullets were popular, but yeah, I mean, there is a lot of long hair in this gang. And I was just long- thinking, was there really that much of it around in the 80s? Maybe it was initiation and they, they had to grow their hair long in order to be part of the gang. It's maybe, just a theory. Or, or maybe it's good for, maybe it's good for disguises or something. You know, you can could put, be. you could can be. pull it over your face. I don't know. Yeah, make a little moustache from it. I don't know. It's <laughs> difficult. It's difficult to know. But, um, I think we should also sort of uh, talk about, um, Alan Rickman in, yes, this, in this film because, uh, he gives a uh, fantastic performance. He does. It's his first, I, I was doing a bit of research and apparently it was, uh, Malibu's first feature film. Oh, which really? I didn't know. I thought it was in something before that, but apparently not. This was his first chance to break out from these, from the, from the treading the boards and doing TV. And yeah, so I would say this is an unqualified success. I just particularly like, I mean, he does this with most of his roles where he kind of, he kind of labors over his syllables when he talks and he, really does chew, the, the the camera does like to look he, he chews up the screen when he's on when he's on the, when he's in these scenes he's he's a very watchable actor and obviously i was paying close attention to his german accent and this is isn't really very german it's kind of it, sometimes it falls into his his usual accent but it's it's plausible and you could it's plausible because you think he's like an international terrorist who he's probably been around a few places so that would have diluted any german that he had in him but, you know, I liked him, particularly for the fact that he was different from your usual terrorists that you got in the 80s, running, gunning, like gung-ho terrorists. He was a calculated, thoughtful, ruthless, intelligent, you know, 
sort of guy that quotes poetry, reads Forbes and Time magazine, and you know likes his expensive suits. I just thought uh, putting him as uh, as that kind of character really kind of made him stand out. What do you think of his accents was more convincing? Do you think his German accent or the American accent that he has to, has to do briefly was more convincing? It's all that awful that American accent. <laughs> Apparently, another little my little bit of research that that little bit where um, Willis meets. Uh, Rickman in the film wasn't actually originally going to be in this only when McTiernan discovered that that, uh, Rickman could do a plausible American accent I say plausible in inverted commas that they decided to include it in there that wasn't in the original draft actually sort of talking about accents that reminds me of there's there's a very and sort of going actually and goes makes us draws us back to a point that we were sort of talking about the odd mix of uh, Euro terrorists and and Americans. But the, one of the, one of the terrorists is um, I've forgotten. Oh, it's Marco, who is one point in the film. There are there are characters talking to him in German, and then in the scene where Marco gets killed and he's walking along the top of the table and Bruce Willis is underneath. Marco is is sort of turns into like Carlito or something. Yeah, or it's true actually. He goes all scarred. Face on... Yeah, I thought he was like Italian in that in that little section. I guess he could be Italian and no German. I guess. I guess. <laughs> there's no. If he doesn't share a border with Germany, does it? As far as I'm aware, does with Switzerland? It could be a Swiss Italian, maybe. I don't know. It's it's far fetched. I think we could be we could be coming at this from a British perspective where we just we just don't know any other language other than other than English. How can he speak two languages? Is he an alien? It's, it's impossible. And one. <laughs> Because he also speaks English as well. So, I mean, that's just greedy if he's speaking, if he can speak three. Incredible for a terrorist. Get anything done with that. Yeah. Yeah. There's another bit of the film that I also found a bit uh, sort of puzzling. And it was basically the plot in order to kind of like crack the safe. Because part of the plot relies on Theo cracking the code because after they after they kill Takagi, Theo has to sort of crack the crack the code. Mm. And which he does by sort of translating Takagi's name, inputting the English trans translation of Takagi's name into a computer and like, yep, hey bingo. I guess, you know, passwords weren't, weren't that sophisticated <laughs> in, in the nineteen eighties. No hashtag needed. No, no hashtag to let the yeah. And but what if um you know what if what if Takagi had, you know, was was Theo just basically going to sit there all night typing in <laughs> random things? Like, what, what sort of shamble, shamble cryptographer is he? Yeah, uh, that's true, actually. I think sometimes we're going to have to give uh, artistic license. I'm not sure how riveting it would be for, for us to see the five hours that he spent sort of typing random random breakfasts and pets' names into the, into the <laughs> before we could get the right one. And I'd, I'd also, I don't know if you noticed, but on the uh, on the computer screen, it the translation it's supposedly Takagi's name, but it doesn't say Takagi. It just says Akagi. There's no T there. Oh, so, so your, your attention to detail surpasses mine. Well, I, I couldn't. I didn't say that. He's not even translating the right word. So I mean, it's, it's a shambles. This film. Why, why are we even <laughs> bothering to review it? It's just disgusting <laughs> laxity there. We might have to kill the podcast right here because yeah, just forget. Yeah. It. Just turn just turn this off. Turn it off. Okay. Is there any uh, anything else you want to uh, well, chat about in I, particular? I can't. I cannot do this podcast without talking about perhaps my favourite character in the history of film. It's not exaggeration. I love this guy so much. Um, is Ellis, uh, actor acted by Hart Bogman. Probably the performance of a of a lifetime. In fact, I'm sure it is for him. You know, quintessential 80s 
arsehole yuppie. I, I remember writing a blog about the, the, the 80s and how it, there was directors had a penchant for yuppie arseholes. We just don't get that now in films and it's, cinematography is, is, is lacking due to the, these, the, the scarcity of yuppie arseholes in film these days. He just has fan, fantastic lines. You know, we see him, virtually the first thing we do, we see him snort uh, lines of coke off the, off of the desk. Uh, when, when Takagi goes in there with, um, with Willis, you know, he's the sort of person who likes to say, hey babe, and booby, and things like this. And Capiche. Capiche, you know, that's a good one. And he's, he's eating grin when he sits in the chair and tells, says, uh, hands Bubby, I'm your white knight. <laughs> and with a big smile on his face. I just, every, I could just watch that uh, on a loop, on a, uh, <laughs> if someone does me a gift and I just have that on my computer screen, I just keep on watching it. That'd make me happy forever. Just amazing performance of, of Dickery. He's just a, <laughs> unsurpassed. Such a good role. Is, is Dickery an adjective? I just made it. It is now. It is now. Yeah, it's an absolutely fantastic performance. Um, he, you know, he doesn't have a huge number of lines, but the film is all the richer for his, uh, sleazebag presence, uh, in it. It's very, it's very 80s, the whole thing. I mean, if you, even if you look at that, it's really like, I, think, I don't know if, a, what, what would you say is the real defining year of the 80s? Is it 87? Is it, some would say 84, like Karate Kid era, with like fashions and looks? Because if you look at the, I would imagine it's probably filmed in 86 for a release in 87, Die Hard, but the women with the mass big hair and the horrible, like, gaudy dresses and all the blokes wearing terrible haircuts and bad, bad suits. I think that's probably, the, could, you could say that was the height of the 80s right then. Just coming back to um, our good friend, Harry Ellis, mm-hmm. he he actually make, he hits on uh, Holly Gennaro in, or, or Holly McLean uh, mm-hmm. in this, uh, in uh, one of the early scenes um, in this film. And I just thought, you know, does Ellis really want to hook up with Holly? It's just a sleazebag. That's what, that's what sleazebags do. They just, they just, he's at a Christmas party. He's probably on a little bit of coke already. So he, he, you know, he's just trying his luck with anyone. And that obviously it sets the stall about this guy's real, he's a real scumbag guy. He's hitting on women. He, he knows that Holly's uh, husband's going to show up. He doesn't really care if he can get a quickie in before he turns up. But so much, so much the better. So anything else for uh, our main discussion, Dara? You can go and talk about the, the helicopter. The exploding helicopter in the in the film, really, is the point of us being here. Well, it is indeed. So uh, thanks for that lovely segue into uh, that section. But yeah, so let's talk about the uh, exploding helicopter. And um, it's a pretty great scene, for my money. That happens around about halfway through the film. The FBI guys, led by Robert Davey as uh, Big Johnson, and his uh, compadre, no relation, Little Johnson, <laughs> <laughs> fly in. Just like Saigon. They fly in in a helicopter under the guise of flying out the uh, hostages, but the, really they're planning a, a double cross and they're planning to uh, to shoot up the uh, the terrorists. But unfortunately, the terrorists are one step ahead of them and they've uh, rigged the roof with explosives. And when they realise what's going on, Gruber gives the order to kind of blow the roof and the helicopter, which is just sort of like hovering over hovering over the roof, uh, explodes, well, the roof explodes, and that explosion kind of consumes the uh, the helicopter as well. Dara, what did you make of uh, the exploding helicopter action in Die Hard? I really liked it. I mean, the, the explosion itself is, is good. It's, it really, it's not one of these explosion, exploding helicopters just sort of there for eye candy. It's part of it, it's generally part of the film. 
And I, I quite I like the bit where um, apparently that the factual scene, the helicopter scene, took six months of preparation and production to do. So it was really as a centerpiece of the film, not just in story terms, but also in production terms. It did take them a lot of work to do that. I, I would imagine the it looked very. Um, I don't. I haven't. You might be able to correct me, well, but it looks very realistic. I don't see it as a CGI. I think it was in the days before CGI. This is a real explosion, and um, whether they completely totaled uh, an apartment block, I doubt it. They probably have done it on a slightly smaller scale, but it does look very realistic with the helicopter chassis sort of tumbling down to the ground in a, in a ball of flame. It's very impressive. Well, the they actually filmed the building. Uh, the sort of Nakatomi like tower is actually a building that was owned by the film studio and um, the 20th century Fox, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. and they it, that seemed it, the, what made those complicated to do was just basically getting the permissions to fly ah, those right, helicopters yeah. at ridiculously sort of low altitudes, um, sort mm-hmm. of around it, and so that was the kind of like the primary um, sort of reason why that sort of scene was sort of complicated on so the production long. side. Okay. Yeah, there's obviously no CGI here, so I'm guessing that they're obviously not going to blow up the uh, head office of, uh, the, uh, stu- of, the stu- of the studio making the film. So I'm assuming the the actual sort of helicopter explosion is is, is model work that they they mm-hmm. kind of created a model of the building and you know did use the miniaturized sort of version of the helicopter because we get to see kind of like the wreckage of the sort of burning helicopter kind of tumble down the side of the side of the building and that's a kind of nice detail. Yeah, uh, that's sort of like uh, added in there because it's a little bit worrying at first. You just see this massive explosion, you see it consume the helicopter, and you kind of think, "Oh, is where's that, the helicopter? Yeah, where's, that, where, where's the payoff? Where's the payoff?" Uh, but then uh, they know what the you know John McTiernan. If he knows one thing, it's what action fans want, and uh, you know he he puts in that wreckage of that. Uh, though you know, if I was being really pick- uh, pernickety, I'd probably want to see that wreckage, you know, hit the ground as well. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I'd like to. See, I like it when it hits the ground. I like to see people flailing around in the helicopter as well. Why can we have not seen the guys flailing around? Maybe that would have made it a little bit too gory. Mm. He was just keeping the keeping it, you know, action, but not too, you know, keeping it light, as Partridge might say. <laughs> it's also quite um, an emotional scene that because obviously it's the demise of the Johnsons, and so if we saw them, I, you know, I'm not sure how much I really want to see the Johnsons, you know writhing in agony on fire that's true so uh, it's it's prob- sick, i've just got a sick i'm a sick i've got a sick mind i can't help it <laughs> i like to think that the the johnsons um died quickly and and hopefully painlessly painlessly yeah. that's good yes let's yeah. let's say let's say they did i um i'm just going to float another theory here um again very little evidence for this <laughs> they, they weren't gay just leave, it. <laughs> just leave it not everybody's gay okay i i you know all right okay <laughs> no, go on. What was the theory? That wasn't the theory, was it? That that was the okay. theory. Let's, let's move on. Let's move on to. You think we should move on to the um the legacy of Die Hard and the you know the films that have come in its wake? Yes, definitely. Because um, if Die Hard um has done one thing, it has inspired thousands of uh, imitators. And sort of the name sort of Die Hard in a has become a kind of shorthand for um, sort of describing a film. So I don't know, uh, Dara, have you got a kind of particular favourite sort of Die Hard inspired film? Yeah, I guess if we're saying Die Hard, um, the template is sort of one man against all odds in a, in a relatively confined space, uh, ultimately, you know, coming good. I would say that my favourite of those kind of films would be Under Siege. Now, you know, a film... Film buffs may scoff at that, 
it is a bit of a guilty pleasure. I just really like it. It's got, you know, Tommy Lee Jones and uh, Gary Boosie uh, sort of playing up to the camera, which is their sort of best best role. And old Seagal, would you say you're you're a very big fan of Seagal, Will? Uh, would you say it was his best film? Or if you've you've seen his whole catalogue, and I, I must say I haven't. <laughs> um, it's definitely um up there. I it's probably it's definitely up there. It's arguably his best film in terms of sort of production values um, of the film, and certainly it's the most sort of financially popular. I probably prefer um some of his other films, but those um are, I think those are more personal preferences rather than okay. um, rather than anything else. Yeah, I mean, and also let's not forget, um, you get to see a couple of exploding helicopters in there. So for action fans, it's it's got a lot. It, it certainly has, and um, one of those um, exploding helicopters was voted the second best action sequence of uh, the year the film came out. I think it was 1992 by um, MTV viewers. So there's no higher accolade than that, apart from maybe being number one action <laughs> sequence of MTV. But pretty good, I think you'd agree. For sure. I mean, I um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick in terms of sort of uh, die hard inner uh, films. I, the one I would uh, maybe point people towards is a lesser known one, and oh. it's uh, a film called Skyscraper, which doesn't actually the only the most famous actor in it is Anna Nicole Smith, the uh, famously <laughs> well endowed playmate model and billionaire marrying uh, lady and it basically the the film is essentially die hard in a skyscraper so it's not really sort of moving the action uh, on into a different location but uh, it's the same film okay. but it's, essentially it's the same film but it does have the Anna Nicole Smith basically in the Bruce Willis role which I think is uh, is an interesting you're wearing, twist you're wearing the best Please, um, oh, you know what? It's quite a while since <laughs> um, since I've seen that film, so I can't really recall exactly what she's wearing. But there is okay. um, uh, there is a shower scene for you to enjoy, and I'm pretty sure okay. she's not, I'm pretty sure she's not wearing a vest in that scene. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, this I in think, the 80s. When was this made? This I think it was made in the like 96 or 97, Ooh, something like that. Tempting. So yeah, if you want to see um, Die Hard in a skyscraper. Um, you could watch Die Hard. Die Hard, could do that. Um, when you've done that, you can then go and watch um, Skyscraper, and you can see the yeah unique, uh, unique prospect of uh, Anna Nicole Smith uh, as the kind of John McClane character. Uh, in that That's film. the most plausible plot I've ever heard, but I, I, now I want to watch it. I mean, are there any other? Can you think of any other sort of films where you'd want to replace Bruce Willis with uh, Anna Nicole Smith? Uh, Last Boy Scout. <laughs> I think like, she'll be quite good at murdering people. I think she's got probably got an evil streak in her. If you look in her eyes, I would, yeah, that's... I would, I would definitely watch that film with Anna Nicole Smith as a sort of like washed up private eye uh, with family issues. Yeah, it's the role she's always, you know, she's always threatened to make and never actually broken out and done. So now's about time. Well, apart from the fact she's now dead, but um... oh, oh yeah, that that will see, you know. If people really want her back, I'm sure they could, like that Michael Jackson film, they'll just reincorporate old CGI bits of his They can do anything these days, Will. Death is not a barrier. If, well, if you we, want we've it, seen that with Furious, seen that with Furious 7, so, you know, it can be done. Okay, well, I think that just about wraps things up for this show. Dara, it was a pleasure to have you on the show again. Pleasure as always. If you liked what you heard, then do check out our website, Exploding Helicopter, or follow us on Twitter, at Chopper Fireball. 
We'll be back soon, so until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. So then in terms of the kind of things to sort of cover off, I'll sort of, the first question I'll, I'll sort of say is around, um, I'll just sort of say something, you know, kind of like the real, one of the real sort of strength of this film, one of the real strengths of this film is the characters, you know, from the main ones to the minor ones. Yeah, films. I've got a list of all, I've got like Al, Al Leong, you like him, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Robert da- Davey, he's excellent. Yeah. That Reginald Vell Johnson, uh, William Atherton, who Thornburg, yeah. who you, do the, are you going to do the gay thing? I will do the gay thing. All right. I'll just riff off you because he's not gay at all, but I just, <laughs> I just go with it. I just go with it. Paul Gleason, he's excellent as well. Yeah. And, and Christian Bale, you know Christian Bale's in it, don't you? What? I'll put, I'll put that in. You know, I haven't fact checked that, but it's, it's definitely Christian Bale. He's definitely in it. He's one of the, he's one of the goons. It is definitely him. So just he's one take, of the take goons. on board. What he's it? not old enough. To yeah, be he's in one it. of the. He doesn't. He doesn't. He looks a little bit chubby, and he's got a mullet, and he, he's got a horrible jumper as well. And he goes. He ends up dying. He goes headfirst into a plate glass. He doesn't. I don't think he has a line, but he's. He's. You see, he's quite visible in a lot of the film. Oh. Let's not spoil it. He's in it. I remember looking this up before. I've got IMDb here. Don't oh yeah, get it out, get it out, then get it out. Just, I'm sure. just going through. He's not in this. Are you sure? Yes. Do you know what I mean that Keep would going. be that'd be so well known, Dara, that Christian Bale is in. Christian Bale was in was a kid yeah. in Empire, yeah, of, the Empire Sun, of the Sun, which came out like eighty. Empire. That came out the year before, and Christian Bale was a child in that. <laughs> Is it really not in it? I'm glad you looked that up. <laughs> that would have been awful. So Christian Bale was born in 1974. Die Hard was filmed okay. in 1987 and released <laughs> and released in 1988. 30. So I'm, I'm going to put a line through that. <laughs> so thank you for doing that.